Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. All right, so <laughs> this series started online and it's going to end in person, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, I will say, let's kind of do some review. Let's take a look back at the last two weeks and then we'll start this week. Uh, so first Sunday, we started in this series called Fear Not, right? We were in Genesis 3. We kind of tracked through the narrative of the scriptures, the narrative of history. And we noticed at the beginning in Genesis 3, Satan introduced all of mankind to wrong fears, right? And those fears introduced sin. Those fears kind of plagued the world. And as a result, humanity kind of, the only narrative that humanity knew was a narrative of fear, right? This sense that fear plagued everything. And yet in this narrative of fear, God interjects his son to come and destroy that narrative of fear. God sending his son to be born in a manger was God establishing his beachhead in his war against our fears and sin and death. And that's what we talked about in the first Sunday. One of the big points in that Sunday was the idea that fear is not disbelief, it's believing the wrong things. Fear is not the absence of any kind of conviction or belief. Fear is actually the presence of wrong beliefs. So the question we ask often is, what am I believing wrongly when I'm afraid? And so that was week one. Week two, we kind of expounded a little bit more and we talked about how fear itself kind of has this cultural stigma, right? It's not really pleasant. It's not really a, a pleasurable thing to f- experience fear. And so because of that, we shun all feelings of fear that we can ultimately, right? And so FDR's quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, kind of predominates the culture, right? It feels better that way to say that, we, well, we just want to be a fearless people. One of the things we talked about last week was that scripture doesn't say that we're to be a fearless people but a right-fearing people. In other words, there are kinds of fears that keep you alive. There are fears that keep you from living. And then there are also fears that lead you to life abundant, that really let you live, right? And that was last week. So last week we said, don't fear fear itself, right? Fear not of fear itself. Just be afraid of fearing the wrong things. So those were the last two weeks. And today, We're going to talk about a specific fear. Like we're actually going to hone in directly on one kind of fear that most likely you were introduced to when you first started interacting with society outside of your own home and you were conscious enough to be aware of it, right? You you were introduced to this specific fear when you first stepped up on that school bus and walked down the aisle of shame trying to find a seat where you felt welcome find somebody that you could sit next to or whenever you walked into into the cafeteria with your book bag on and that little lunchbox and you were looking around to see what group would welcome me in that fear is what we're going to be talking about today you know that fear right right it's it's the fear of not being accepted it's the fear of being cast out it's the kind of fear that asks the questions Will I fit in? Right? Will they, will they even let me in? Right? Will they accept me? What if they don't? Am I acceptable? Is there something about me that makes me unacceptable? Right? Those are some pretty serious questions and they're hard to ask yourselves. 
And I'll, I'll just be honest with you. Do you know the, the first time in my life when I started asking those kinds of questions? It was probably about third grade. Do you know the, the last time that I actually stopped asking those questions in my life? I haven't. <laughs> I still ask questions like that all the time, actually. I mean, if, if I can just be totally upfront with you and expose a little bit of my heart as, as authentically as I can, put yourself in my shoes and move to a new area to pastor a new church in the middle of a pandemic following a really incredible and well-loved pastor, right? And see if those kinds of questions aren't dancing on your brain in the middle of the night. Will I fit in? Will they like me? Will they accept me? Right? Now, I've, I, 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 I can tell you that that's my experience, but I've also been in many conversations. I've had the privilege of holding conversations with men and women of all ages who struggle with the exact same kinds of fears in their own relationships, both outside and inside the church. They do it in both. Because these sorts of questions, will I fit in, will they accept me, are questions that a lot of people are asking about whether or not they should walk in those doors right there. Right? So these kinds of fears, this specific kind of fear that elicits these sorts of questions could potentially lead to the destruction of a soul, right? Because out of all places, should fit in here, should be acceptable here. So today, we're going we're gonna to take that fear head on with God's word, by faith, and I want to us to see how God's word is showing us, is telling us that no matter the labels that we carry, no matter our story, no matter our status, we can fear not. So let's take a look at the nativity story. You know, it's the part of the nativity story that we all know so well. And hopefully today God shows something new for you guys. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 8 and 9 to start us off, okay? Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Let's stop right there for a second. Let's just stop right there. Let's, let's pause and take a look at the story and the status of these shepherds real quick, the kinds of labels that they may have carried. So in Old Testament antiquity, right, in Old Testament times, the occupation of being a shepherd was a pretty noble thing, right? Think about it. You had several high-named guys having that occupation. Abel, right, Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd. You had King David, right? He was a shepherd, right? You had... Moses, he went out and shepherded. You had all these guys who were shepherds, who were high-named people in, Israel history, in Israel's history. And, and yet, after years and years of cultural influence from outside nations, shepherding itself, the occupation, became one of the most despised occupations to ever have. 
So I, I, I could kind of just spout off some facts, but I think it'll provide a little bit more validity if I give you some quotes. Um, if you were to turn into any commentary uh, 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 that's written about this section of the Bible or this passage, you'd find something similar. But I found an article by Randy Alcorn, uh, that, who's a theologian and scholar I trust, and, and he, gives a re- he does a really good job explaining the cultural nuances of, of shepherding. And I want to give you some of those quotes. You should be able to see them at home as well. This is what he says. Shepherds were despised in everyday life. In general, they were considered second class and untrustworthy. Shepherds became victims of a cruel stereotype. Shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. Does that sound familiar? That's part of our past, isn't it? Let's keep going. There's a little bit more. Let's take a look at the Mishnah. The Mishnah, Judaism's written record of the oral law, also reflects this prejudice, referring to shepherds in belittling terms. One passage describes shepherds as incompetent. Another says no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. In other words, shepherds aren't worth saving. They're not worth your sweat or your emotional turmoil. And guys, it gets even worse than this, right? Alcorn, he goes on to say this. The religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Rabbis banned pastoring sheep and goats in Israel, except in desert plains. In other words, they weren't welcome in the city. They weren't even welcome in the town. They had to go outside Guys, in other words, these shepherds were told by the religious leaders, those who were supposed to represent God well, that God himself didn't even love shepherds. That God only had wrath and total justice in store for them when their day came. So does that change the picture of that night at all for you? It does for me, right? If we were to look at the status of these men sitting out in that field, keeping the watch over their flock by night, what kinds of labels did we see that they carried? What kinds of labels did they have? They had the labels, first they were victims. They carried the label of outcasts, right? They carried the label that they were worthless, that they were unacceptable, they were criminal. They were low lowlifes, no goods. Guys, they were victims of a disgusting level of abuse, rejection, slander, mockery, and injustice the whole time that they had this occupation as shepherds because Israel believed, all of Israel believed that they were the undeserving, the worthless lowlifes. All because the religious leaders had told them that. So I can tell you this, and I think we can all understand that those who have experienced injustice in a very real sense, victims of injustice, have very real fears. But these guys' fears not only went so far as horizontally, but it translated to their understanding of how God viewed them. 
right? They were so afraid of God because all they knew is that God didn't want them. God despised them and only had destruction in store for them. I mean, these guys really believed that they were the outcasts. They were unacceptable. They were worthless, not just to society, but to God himself. And they're out there that night doing what they do every other night, right? Chilling, no people coming from the city to visit with them. Nothing else to do but to chat with themselves. Still loving under the condemnation that their job has brought them for the past whoever, how many years they've worked it. And as they're just lying there out in the field looking up at the stars, with all of these labels, with all of these stories and statuses thrown on them, this angel of God, this warrior of light just shows up and pierces the night sky. He stands with them. And it says that these shepherds were terrified. They were filled with great fear. And rightly so, right? You remember how, you remember what society had told them the whole time that they had this job? Remember the abuse that they had experienced? Remember what the religious leaders had told them about how God himself viewed them? So can't you imagine their fear being a little bit more than just simply, ah, an angel? Like how terrifying it would be. They knew that this was a messenger from God who hated them apparently who wanted nothing to do with them. So when the angel shows up, I think that their great fear was much more than the sight of the angel. I think their fear was based on their labels, based on their stories, based on the status of their society around them that had been thrust on them. I mean, because they were victims of injustice and abuse and really false teaching about God, they were terrified when this angel showed up. Because why else would an angel show up to these shepherds? What else were they good for except for destruction and perishing? So guys, I I, I think we just need to stop right here and just let this sink in. I'm imagining that there's probably people in here or people who are tuning in online who are like, wow, that's me. That's me. Maybe this is you. I mean, have you, have you been a victim of a abuse from people you thought that you cared about and who cared about you, and now you can't help but carry around the labels of unlovable, of dispensable, of worthless, all because that's what your abusers ultimately showed you? I, I know people who have experienced abuse at the hands of people who they thought cared for them, And their response was, well, I I can't be lovable then. They put that label on themselves. Is that you? Or, 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 Or maybe, maybe just maybe, you have the kind of past where you made some bad decisions, you got caught up in a bad, few bad things and with a few bad people, and and now you carry labels like criminal like outcasts, like you've got a record, like you're second rate, like you're a low life and you're a no good because you've carried that around. I mean, have these labels taken you so far that you think God wants nothing to do with you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But this is the text, and, and these are the sandals that these shepherds are in. 
And they've got this messenger from the God who they thought hated them and wanted nothing to do with them standing right in front of them, and they're terrified. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Is he, is, is he just going to reaffirm that we're worthless? Are we going to be rejected? Are we going to be cast out? Are we going to be destroyed? What is he here to do? And in the midst of their great terror, in the midst of their great fear, what did the angel say to them? Hey, they got it right. You guys are terrible. We don't want anything to do with you. We're, you're, you're gone. <laughs> Good luck. No, in all of their fear, this angel representing God says, fear not. He says, look at this, in verse 10, right? Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, you shepherds, you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, you shepherds, is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you think God had a wrong mailing address on this message? Do you think God had ultimately intended it to go to the religious elite and leaders of the day? You think the angel, Gabriel, oh, sent the wrong angel. Gabriel, you mess it up. Michael, go. No, 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 no. God specifically intended to bring the message of the arrival of his own son, the king, the Messiah, to the lowlifes, to the unacceptables, to the rejects of the society around them. Why? Because he is showing the world that he welcomes in the worst of us. He welcomes in the least of us. Guys, He's showing us that those in the margins of society, those who typically aren't welcomed in because they aren't acceptable enough or they're too hard to love or they've done too much to get themselves clean enough to be welcomed in, he's showing them that they're welcomed. Right? He's shouting to victims and criminals, no matter the labels, he's shouting to the rejects and the worthless, hey, you don't have to be afraid anymore of whatever labels that you've carried for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years of the injustices that you've experienced or the crimes that you've committed. I bring you out of all the people in Israel, I bring you good news of great joy. A savior has been born and he's going to establish justice and he will raise the dignity of every soul who comes to him. Even you who have been victims, even you who have been criminalized, go and adore him. I welcome you in. Fear not. Now you might be thinking, man, Scotty B, you're probably reading into this a little too much. You're taking this a little bit too far, man. This is just a fluke. This is a one-time thing. Well, why don't we just take a quick look at Jesus' ministry? Let's just take a look at the little band of people that followed Jesus. You had Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John were all 
uneducated fishermen. In other words, to Israel, they were the hillbillies in the mountains. They, they just didn't know anything. They were ignorant. What about Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, a.k.a. the traitor of Israel, treasonous, most hated by Israel because he was on the side of the Roman Empire? Or what about Simon the Zealot? That's not one we talk about much. You know what that means? Simon the Zealot means he was an anarchist. He tried to to instill riots against the Roman emperor and Roman control and governance. These are the kinds of people that Jesus is like, yep, come on. We're going into this thing called eternity together. Let me disciple you. These are the people who followed him. Well, that's two instances. That's still, you're reading into it a little bit too much, Scotty. You got to go a little bit more. Okay, what about Jesus' own ministry? What about the people that he loved on and cared about? Jesus literally pardoned an adulterer. Somebody, a woman caught in adultery. He healed the reject demon-possessed man who lived in the local cemetery and was too disgusting to allow into the city and too strong to bind up and keep quiet. That's who Jesus went to to minister to and heal. Jesus forgave a prostitute, aka a woman of the streets, and he let this woman anoint his head with oil and wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Jesus walked up to the unclean, cast-aside leper, touched him, and healed him. What about the impossible to heal Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons? He heals her and welcomes her in and invites her to follow him. Guys, I hope you see by now that no matter the labels that we carry, no matter how unfit or unacceptable or unlovable we think we are, God giving this message of good news, of great joy to these shepherds in this field that night is God shouting to the rejects, to the outcasts, and to the unacceptables, fear not, I want you. Come adore my son. Isn't isn't that exactly what they go and do? That's exactly what they go do. They go and adore his son. Right? They're invited in to go see Jesus, and that's what they do. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. For those of us who have had the privilege of entering into parenthood, you know how when you have your newborn and you're trying to introduce that newborn into society and you quickly find out that there are people around us in this world who have no social boundaries and who want to do everything to your child, like hug and kiss and hold 
And they just walk up and they don't even ask. And they're just like, oh, that's a cute baby. I want to kiss him on the mouth. And he's just like, no, get your germs off my baby. Right? We say, excuse me, we're at the grocery store and somebody walks up. Oh, that's such a cute baby. No, stop it. Don't touch him. I'm protecting my child. It's like, a, like you're on the mission. You've got a football and you're stiff arming everybody through the streets, right? Can you imagine? Imagine being in the delivery room, having just had your baby, holding them for the first time, caring for them, and into the delivery room walks these grungy, stinky, scraggly bearded, socially outcast shepherds. And they're like, hey, we heard about your baby. Can we see it? Can you imagine being in Mary's shoes? <laughs> I, I call security on, have them on speed dial. Get up here, get them out of here. They ain't touching my child. That's not happening. But is that what Mary and Joseph did? They would have had every right to. These shepherds had no place in that nativity scene. Typically, they wouldn't belong. But Mary and Joseph, no. No, they, they let these social reject shepherds, they let them in to come and see the Messiah. And why on earth would they do that? The best guess, Mary and Joseph were just in awe of what God was doing in the world. And they knew this baby was for them. This was the Messiah, right? Who, who were they to bar anyone, stiff arm anyone from coming to adore Jesus? No matter their labels or their stories or their statuses. Because God was clearly, clearly welcoming in those the world had cast out. God is clearly inviting in society's rejects and outcasts and no goods. God is clearly saying, hey, come and adore my son, you who the religious leaders say aren't good enough. Can't, can't, can't you see the heart of God here? Can't you see who all he wants in his kingdom? Can't you see who he wants in his family? Can't you see how little God cares about the labels that we've put on one another? Because ultimately he defines who we are, not the society around us or ourselves or what happens to us. I mean, can't you see how unconcerned God ultimately is with the labels that we give ourselves because of the things that happen to us or the things that we do ourselves that give us labels? Guys, this, this, this story, this passage, these shepherds, this invitation is showing us that no one is ever out of the way of the kingdom of God. You don't have to go out of your way to get to these people in the kingdom of God. No, they belong in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. Because whether we believe we are unlovable 
or unforgivable. Do you see the weight of both of those? No matter if we have stamped ourselves or branded ourselves with those kinds of labels, no matter what, fear not. Everyone can come and adore Jesus. All are welcomed in to adore Christ. As I've got to be honest with you, I've had the privilege of being in pastoral relationships with individuals who truly believe that they are too dirty or too scared or too scarred to be welcomed in by God, to be accepted by God. I mean, I, I, I know people who wear labels like alcoholic or abuser or, or adulterer or thief, and they legitimately fear that those labels bar them from God's kingdom. I've, I've also, I mentioned this earlier, but it deserves repeating because I don't think we understand the weight of, of being a, a victim of abuse. Right? I've known individuals who wear labels like they're, they, they have abuse victim, right? Sexual abuse victims or physical abuse victims or mental abuse victims. And because they have these labels, they think that that defines them and they have the fear that whatever happened to them makes them unlovable to God. Regardless if we think that that's, that's ridiculous or not, that is what they are feeling. And maybe that's you. Guys, no matter your labels, no matter your stories, no matter your statuses, fear not, God loves you. And he really wants you to come and see the beauty and the satisfaction of life with Jesus. I read this the other day and I couldn't help but be overwhelmed with joy at this little phrase from Jesus. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The little flock, the least of these, the outcasts, the rejects, the no goods. God delights to give them the kingdom. So fear not of your labels, your story, or your status. God wants to give you Jesus, delights to give you Jesus. You too can come and adore Christ. Now, I realize that, that this is, it's, it's a possibility that this is landing really hard for some of us. Right? That, that, that this is just hitting home and it's like, man, this is heavy, this is deep. Praise God for this good news. This gospel is great. But then there are others of us who are probably in here and you're more like me, right? And, and this is not as heavy this just is, this is not doing as much. doesn't weigh as heavy on our souls. Because honestly, I mean, growing up, I, I didn't do too much. I didn't have too much done to me. I was pretty protected, so I was a pretty privileged little white boy. 
And because of that, I had a good home, a good family. I didn't have hard things happen to me ultimately. And because of that, I don't carry that many labels. And maybe you're like me. So what I want to do is I actually want to make this way a little bit heavier for you. And I want to do it this way. Imagine if we were to have the technology to be able to capture every moment of your life on film, including all of your motives, every single thought, every desire, every word, every action. For the, for, for the span of your life, and we were to capture that on film, put it into a feature film, and invite the community to come out and say, hey, we've got a feature film we want to show you. It's the life of this person. With everything they thought, everything that they've wanted, everything that they've felt, everything that they've done. Come enjoy. We've got some popcorn for you. 25 cents admission. Let me ask, just, I mean, so you know your story. God knows it better. But what kinds of labels would you come out thinking that you'd be carrying from that? If people actually saw. What kind of labels? I know mine. I'm too ashamed to shout them or even say them. Would any of those labels be enough to cast you out of some sort of social circles around you? Or better yet, would any of those labels be enough to motivate you to withdraw yourself from those social circles out of shame or embarrassment? That one's me. Now, can't you see how amazing it is that God went after you in your field and drew you into the sphere of his love and gave you citizenship status in his kingdom and made you a child of his. Fear not. All can come and adore. As this, this is the gospel. This is, this is the good news of the kingdom of God. No one, based on their race, based on their sex, based on their occupation, their riches or poverty, no one is excluded from the invitation to come and behold the glory of Jesus and be transformed by that same image into that same image. This is the gospel. There's no borders to it. Real quick side note then. Guys, this is the gospel that we're going to be preaching, right? I think we can all agree that this is the good news of the gospel. But this is the gospel that we're going to demonstrate here in our church. Is this the kind of gospel that we're going to live out? And what I mean by that is will we be a church where certain labels exclude you or make you, mm, I don't know if I want to go hang out with this person or get coffee with them. Are we going to be that kind of church? Are, are, are we going to be acting like the parents of that newborn, right? <laughs> no, we've got our Jesus. You're too icky. We don't want you here. Just get away. Is that going to be us? You're too messy to come see our Jesus. Be gone. Or are we going to be a church that not only welcomes in, but also goes out and after those who wear the kinds of labels that our society deems despicable, who our society determined 
they're not good enough. In other words, I'm asking, will we be a church that shows grace and has compassion on all, no matter their label, story, or status? Don't be afraid, church. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have labels and have some fears that are associated with them, but you don't have to stay there. When we come to Jesus, we find freedom from all our labels. We find the dignity and worth of our souls elevated to that of Christ who said, hey, come up here with me. You're seated with me. Guys, the church was never meant to be a museum of saints. It was meant to be a hospital for sinners. And a family of rejects. You can come and adore our Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, it is truly astounding and even somewhat discombobulating that the most holy and most high would even welcome in the most lowly. That your heart is not to go after the high and mighty, but the gentle and lowly. That you welcome in all who come to you on your terms and receive the invitation to come and see Jesus. and be cleansed and welcomed in. God, I praise you that that's my story. And I've got brothers and sisters in here who have so many different labels, so many different pasts, so many different current statuses in their lives. And yet they're my brother and they're my sister because you have welcomed them in. You've drawn them in by faith through grace. And now we're family. And now we're one body. And now we're all the same. The same worth, the same dignity, the same respect, the same image of God. God, you welcomed us in and I praise you. God, I know the things that I've done and they're always before me. You know my past better than I do. You actually, you could recount them all if it weren't for your love, which keeps no record of wrong anymore. God, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be in this family and yet you've called us and brought me in. I praise you. I pray for my brothers, 
praise you for my brothers and sisters where you've done the same thing to them. God, I believe yet that there are more. You're not done building your family. You're not done expanding your kingdom. And so I pray, Father, for those who are in the margins of the society around us, for those who have been social rejects, who have counted themselves as unworthy, who have been concerned and fearful and afraid that their pasts, that their stories, that their statuses, that the labels that they have will exclude them from the preciousness of the family of God and exclude them and discredit them from your love. Father, I pray that this morning's message would radically reshape their beliefs so that they would not fear anymore and that they would come and that you would welcome them in and that we would welcome them in and show them the beauty of Christ. God, would you save more people? Because you can save the unsavable, you love the unlovable, you forgive the unforgivable, You want the undesirable. And I praise you that this is the gospel that we get to preach here. May it be the gospel that we live out as a church family. I pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to dismiss. I'm going to pray for you guys as you go. As may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. God, may you lift up your countenance upon my brothers and sisters here and give us peace both now and in the world to come. Amen. Love you guys. Lord willing, we will be here next week. And uh, thanks for joining in today. Thanks for tuning in online. God bless you guys. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.